Well, welcome back, and now we look at some more thoughts and continuing the sermon that we started, I think, way back at the start of November. Uh, no, back the month before that, October. And we've been looking at words of encouragement that we should not fear with the present situation. And uh, praise the Lord that uh, things are relaxed a lot since within the last month, even the last week, and in, in one week's time, not this Sunday, but next, we'll all be able to come down to two square metres a person and we can space out here and in the next room. Ready for that, we've got the television up, ready to go for the, the overflow of people into that room. So praise the Lord that things have moved on, but still we shouldn't fear. The rest of the world <clears throat> is not faring so well. Most countries are not as relaxed as us over this COVID question thing. <laughs> We've looked at God keeps his promises. That's why we need not to be afraid. Secondly, because God knows our pain. <clears throat> Thirdly, we looked at God knows our problems. That was even in that portion we read, verse 28. And then God senses our paranoia, our weaknesses, our worries. God Fifthly, is wise to our predicaments, the things we're facing in life. And some of these things might cross over a little bit, but there's many scriptures we've looked at in all of these. We look sixthly at God strengthens us with his presence. Therefore, be encouraged and don't be fearful. He strengthens us with his presence. He is never going to leave us nor forsake us once we become his children. And in fact, he's everywhere present anyway. <laughs> The devil can be at one place, but God can be everywhere at once. And God assures us, seventhly, of, us, of his preservation. We looked eighthly at God's undergirds, our perseverance and persistence. He blesses those that are faithful. Ninthly, we looked at God's promises, promises his presence in persecution. And he does undertake and we have many testimonies personal and other people who know the presence or knew the presence of God in persecution remember Paul and uh, the Lord stood by him and encouraged him to keep on get, keeping on when times were tough when he's locked up in prison now we move to the next one fear not because God assures us of his purpose, of his will, that is. Way back then, when Joseph and Mary were espoused to be married, Mary was found with child. And Joseph said, what will I do? This doesn't look good, and it's not me. And there in Matthew chapter 1, and verse 19, and Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So, here was Joseph wondering, what is God's will in this situation? What is God's purpose in all this? Now, th this this could, could result in a stoning for a fornication and 
And so <clears throat> it was, he was wondering what was God's will. Well, the Lord came to him and said, fear not. How often have we been wondering about what should we do? And I think we do that on a daily basis. What is God's will in this situation? And we pray and we think through things and the Holy Spirit guides us and we read his word and there the light turns on and there's an answer given from his word and he shows us his will for that particular situation. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5 verse 16 it reads redeeming the time because the days are evil wherefore be not unwise but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then it goes on to say, And be not drunk with wine in which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, being filled with the Spirit is being filled with the Word of God, knowing the Word of God, not only intellectually, but experientially. We are knowing the Word of God. We're living the Word of God. And when on unwise, we understand what the will of the Lord is through the Word of God and the direction of the Spirit of God who lives and resides and forever will in the person that has believed by faith. And so this is how we can know his purpose by reading the will of God. It's obvious also through some circumstances that God, they're secondary things, but the, the circumstances that come to bear and the word and the spirit of God that are directing us. <clears throat> and then it goes on and says in verse 19, of Ephesians 5, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, <clears throat> singing and making a melody in your heart to the Lord. That's what happens as a result of being filled with the Spirit. It's sad that we've not been allowed to sing publicly, but pray that God has got a song in our heart <coughs> and that we're singing that song, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Work together. Labour together. Overlook the small differences that have no reason to cause a problem. And so God assures us of his purposes. And, and beside that, when you think of all the prophetical things that are in the word of God that are yet to happen, and a third of the Bible is prophecy at least, <clears throat> there's many purposes of God. There's the, the plan of God. And, and you know... <laughs> If we know that, we have absolute confidence that in the end of it all, God's going to get the victory and his children. If we know his purposes, we know his will, we know what he's doing, we know what's going on today. It's an establishment for the system of Antichrist, for a global system. Mr. Trump has been resisting the global system, want to buck the system. And, and look what's happened to him lies and deceit it seems from all directions even in the revelations of the last few days it's astounding what's happening and in the near future we're going to preach on how the devil's going to bring in his rule wicked rule of seven years tribulation into this world and there's one word that stands above all and that's deceit fake fake things wickedness <clears throat> and that's what's running rampant, not only in the governments of the world and in the systems that are set up by the world, but within churches as well, <coughs> deceived by the enemy. Well, we can know the purpose of God, and we don't have to fear because we know how it's all going to end. 
Psalm 143 verse 10 teaches us, Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is God. Lead me in the land of uprightness. That's just what we've been saying. Psalm 143 verse 10. Sometimes we are hesitant to take that step of faith, fearing it may not be God's will. And it's good to be sensitive to that. It's no sense a Christian being bold and brash and presumptuous. Some people call that faith. I've thought of a few people and and um, have given the, a name. You know, the bravado boys. These sort of people that just go out and brashly do things. I remember one person said to me once when they secured a loan from the bank to do a Christian thing, they said, and they said, the Lord provided. And I said, no, the bank provided. Somebody's got to pay the bill. Is that presumption, just taking all you can from the bank to the last cent and then not allowing the Lord to meet the need? I pray that we'd learn to trust the Lord. Don't act foolishly and presumptuously. But in, by, in faith, knowing God's will, <coughs> it is good to hesitate to make sure. Um, don't you feel like Gideon sometimes? <laughs> What's God's will here? Is this really God's will? Uh, look at these guys. They're going to they're gonna round us up and behead us all. And the Lord showed him through the fleece, being wet and dry and so forth, and the opposite to the Jew. And he was assured the sword of the Lord and Gideon. But he wasn't completely sure. You say, well, he had a lack of faith. I think I'd prefer to be that way than presumptuous and run ahead of God and fall into the pit. You know? <clears throat> Noah, we think of him in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. It reads there, by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. Hadn't seen rain, hadn't seen a flood. There was a mist that watered the ground in the evenings. And he wondered, is this what I should do? Well, he moved with fear. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house to which he condemned the world, or by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. <coughs> he believed by faith. He moved with fear. He knew this was God's will. Now, as he progressed, remember God had said it's going to be 120 years until this happens. Start now. It was a mammoth task. A shipbuilder. Nobody had ever built a ship before, as far as we know. Nobody had plied the trade. Nobody knew how to design one. The engineering of it all. Imagine the main beam. The trees, the trees or tree. It could it'd have to be trees. It couldn't be one because of the length of the ark. And all these things. He, had, he moved and uh, made. And, and what sort of wood was he going to use? How, 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 where was he going to get this from? You know, if he'd been down in Tasmania, he had hewn pine which shipbuilders love because the bugs don't eat it and it can it lasts, lasts within the water and it's tough, it's fine grain it's very, very slow growing 
as we went to visit Tasmania more than 10 years ago, 15, maybe 16, and they took us up that lake down the bottom, down the west side, and uh, was it up the Franklin? And <clears throat> they pulled into this little spot and then they almost started worshipping the human pine that was laying rotting there while well, it had been there, they reckon, for thousands of years and still hadn't rot- rotted. <coughs> anyway, Noah took and chose and did all these things and all the mocking that he would have suffered, all the ridicule from his friends and family, family, they were all related from Noah, Adam and Eve, all the evil that they were put, committing in front of him to try to bring him unstuck, just like the world today, as it was in Noah's day. <coughs> But he moved with fear and knew the will of God. Abraham, Abraham, chapter 11, verse 8 of the book of Hebrews. Abraham, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he went. You see, there's a lot of unknowns in this. By faith, he went out. He was comfortable in Ur of the Chaldees. The family were there. Friends were there. He had a house that had running water, not a bit different to what through pipes and taps was. We have it, but they have a sewer system. It's, it's been dug up. These things they had, and he was going off. Can you imagine his wife? Where are we going? Yeah, going for a holiday? No, we're going somewhere. I don't know where, but we're going because God told me. What do you mean? What are we going to live in? A tent? In a desert? Oh, you can hear the objections. And uh, <clears throat> by faith he sojourned, in verse 9, in a land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in <clears throat> tabernacles or tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. You see, it didn't only affect Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the twelve sons. It affected everyone. Our decisions to do right or wrong to live by faith. Now, you might say, well, he, he assigned them to live in tents for generations, for decades, for centuries. Yes, but that was God's will. Away from the wickedness of the world and to live in a tent, better to live in a tent and die and go to heaven than live in a palace and die and go to hell. Well, he went out. He believed it was God's will. It was God's purpose. He moved with fear. Have we gone out? Have we trusted the Lord? Leaning on Jesus, that song that we sing, not knowing where he went. Moses, well, Moses' parents, notice in verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 11, (coughs) by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. You know, they could have been executed for keeping their child, Moses. They kept him. Fancy delivering them over to Pharaoh's murderers. Killers of children, aborters of children. They did that. And the midwives told a fib of the Egyptians and said they're... Fa- They bear the children before we can get there and it's too late. They're up and living. Well, Moses' parents hid him, not being afraid of the king's commandments. Sometimes we just have to 
do what God says and where he leads us in his purposes and not be afraid of the king's commandments, particularly when it's going to involve murder, in this case, the murder of your own child. Moses' parents, Moses himself, he wanted to be assured of God's purposes. And notice in chapter 11 and verse 24 of Hebrews, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You see, you get to an age when you are responsible for yourself, the age of accountability, when you get to years or come to years, that you are going to be responsible to God and answer for your decisions and actions. Under that age, you're under the grace and mercy of God. He refused at that time when he came to come to understand what was going on and that he was an, a Jew and they were the Egyptians and he was in the court and everything was different for him to, to all his brethren. He heard the whip cracking on his own, his own family and friends and relatives, but he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. I could just live in Egypt with all the luxury and all the money and all the provisions of all these slaves who are my relatives doing all this for me. I just could have enjoyed, he could have just enjoyed it. But no, he chose. And it says, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Folks, unless you draw out of the world, unless you come aside for God, unless you believe by faith and then start walking by faith, not saying, I still want the world, I'm going to drag it with me. And I've started preparing a sermon on carnal Christians because I'm, I'm concerned for people we know that become very carnal, very sloppy in their behaviour, not fervent in their spiritual life at all, in their prayer life, in their reading of scripture, in their attendance of church. It's a fearful thing to go the way of a carnal Christian. It's in the book of Corinthians, I think chapter 3 of verse. Second Corinthians, but here he esteemed, Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasuries of Egypt. They're still digging up the riches of Egypt in the tombs of the pharaohs and finding, what, 60 tombs or, or embalmed bodies over there just recently <coughs> with all the loot that goes with it because he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. You see, he knew God's purposes. He knew what God was going to do. He knew that God was going to deliver Israel from there. He knew the, the covenants that God had made with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He knew that they were unconditional covenants. Yeah. Hey, who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Under inspiration, Moses. He knew these things. And he recorded the history. And so he esteemed, he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. And you, you remember, if you've been here long, many years ago, 10 or more years ago, that I re-preached on just that, he had respect to the recompense of the reward. He just didn't consider the worldly stuff down here, the material possessions. He had respect into the future. He looked for a city. He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, he endured as seeing him who was invisible. And he looked... For a city whose builder and maker was God, just like Abraham in verse 10 of chapter 11. 
there's better to come. For the Christian, there's great things to come. There's eternal possessions. There's wonderful blessings awaiting the Christian. And so often we we get enamoured by the present and by the physical and by the possessions. Listen, I'll tell you, everything that you get that's new, the newness wears off very quickly. Rust and moth and thieves break through and steal, it says in Matthew chapter 6. It all goes downhill and then you ended up taking it to the rubbish tip where you adored it, almost worshipped it one time. Houses and lands and cars and, and everything else. Get real about eternity. Understand what it's about. You know, you say, oh, you're an old fellow. That's why you can say that. You know, you're not one foot in the grave already. Well, yeah, it, uh, I started young preaching the word, studying the word, mid-teenage years, memorising whole books so that it almost memorised the New Testament and along with other men in the church. And so handy it is when you get older, you start forgetting things. But you know what's something you don't forget? is the word of God that you've memorized in your mind and heart a long time ago. When you're younger, do it. And, and, and remember these things. They hold you in good stead. They hold you firm in times of fearfulness and, and everything seems to be crumbling around us. Hey, we haven't, listen, we haven't seen a thing. All the cities of the world are going to fall flat one day. So why invest in them? All the buildings are going to crumble. Tsunami is going to sweep over nations. The seas are going to roar with the earthquakes. So great that's never been an earthquake. And two of them are mentioned in the book of Revelation. And it's getting ready. Even unsaved men now say the big ones are going to come. Yeah, it will. And God has said so. Well, <clears throat> we can think of people that knew the purpose of God. God assures us of his purpose, his will. Knowing the word of God, we can know these things and not fear. We can fear God instead. Israel conquered Jericho, walking around it one time each day for six days and on the seventh day walked around seven times and the people in Jericho were full of fear already before they come. They knew about the Red Sea. They knew about the cloud of... uh, (coughs) protection and the fire by night they knew God God had worked with the Israelites already in conquering a few nations and provisions in the wilderness and these people were unstoppable and Jerry the the people in Canaan were full of fear it says that in the Bible they know you're coming Rahab said it they know you're on the march and God's with you and uh, but they did this and, and and the people of Jericho might have thought this is a strange behavior walking around the wall once a day, blowing trumpets and everything else. And then on the seventh day, they might have, oh, it's a bit different today. They've gone round a few, one, two, three, seven times. And then the sounding of the trumpets and the wall falling flat and the men coming up in, too, too late for all of them except for Rahab and the family that believed her and got into her house, her house of safety. And praise God. We can know the purpose. Israel knew the purpose of God. They'd seen the miracles. They trusted him eventually after 40 years. The priests, before they crossed the Jordan, in Joshua chapter 3, verse 15, they were carrying the ark. 
They were the first ones up front to go, to go across the Jordan into Canaan. And you, you can imagine them coming up to the river and it was in flood at that time of the season. It says so. You can imagine the first guys on, the, on it. I don't know if it was four or six. And they put their foot out. I wonder if they put their toe in and see if it worked. It's going to stop. It's going to stop. It's going to stop. <laughs> or whether they just marched on in and just walked and the water it was gone. And it seems it was that way. They believed by faith the purpose of God. The, we've seen the waters part before. If we, ha- if we weren't alive then, we heard about it back at the Red Sea. And they walked through dry shod. And, the, and it says the waters built up in a heap. And below, they subsided and run into the Dead Sea and there was no water there. The, the creek stopped. <laughs> the, well, the River Jordan stopped. Yep, they walked up, straight out into it and it stopped. Rahab, we mentioned her already in Hebrews 11.31. By faith, Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she received the spies with peace. Paul stepped out in faith and went on three missionary journeys around the known world to preach the gospel to establish churches everywhere in these towns in unknown places. He went to the Jew first, to the synagogue. That's where they were gathered on Saturday. And then they kicked him out and he went to the Gentiles over and over and over again. And some of the Jews in those towns he'd evangelized took off to the next town and said, don't let him in town. They didn't like him, but he was assured of the purpose of God. <clears throat> here's, a, here's one purpose that God, we know God is for. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Therefore, it behoves us and it's our responsibility to think of unsaved people who are lost in their sins to tell them, of the gospel of Christ. Look, they're bringing in anti-conversion bills all around our country. And we'll be in trouble. We won't be allowed to hand tracks out soon. Take advantage while we can. Still do that. Talk to people. Give them the opportunity to know about eternity. This is of the devil without doubt. To stop the gospel going out, to stop the Great Commission being fulfilled, to stop the purpose of God, he's not willing that any should perish. That is the, a, a supreme purpose. That's Christ came to save sinners. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, like the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. His purpose is for people to get saved. What are we doing about it? He's, he, he, he's not got angels doing it. He didn't commission them. He commissioned 12 disciples, go ye into the world, and uh, teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those that believe, baptize them. Not that that saves them, they believe, and then they get baptized. And it's our responsibility. God does not, has not revoked that, and he will not until he comes to take us home. And after that, there'll be those that still go out. Commissioned by God to do so. Yep, God assures us of his purposes. And when we know his purposes, we can go with boldness, hesitate with big decisions, and as the doctors and surgeons said when they had open heart surgery, don't make any decisions for a whole year. No major, I mean, make decisions, but no major decisions. I've known people that have made major decisions after they had operations and things 
that wrecked their ability to think straight and they made some big blunders and blues in their life. Terrible things. <clears throat> Make sure it's in the purpose and will of God. God, secondly today, protects us in our perils. In the Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew chapter, chapter 14 and verse 22, Matthew fourteen twenty two, we read there, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up into the mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. <clears throat> and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear, but straightway Jesus spoke unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid thee, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. <clears throat> He protects us in our perils. How's your boat? Is it rocking to and fro? <laughs> Is it being tossed by the waves and driven by the wind? Winds are the contrary. Winds that can cause us to be very concerned. Well, there's plenty of things around that has caused that to happen. And I don't believe they're finished yet. We've had bushfires. We had the drought. Then we had the bushfires. Then we had COVID. What's next? I've said recently, when God, when God takes his church out, then he th pours his wrath upon this wicked God-rejecting, Christ-rejecting world. The world will not have time to respond to the disasters. They won't even be burying the dead. They won't be cleaning up the roads. They won't be repairing the bridges. There'll be no one to fix the broken gas mains. There'll be no one to repair the electricity. It'll be total chaos when three lots of seven judgments, yea, four lots of seven judgments, the vial, the trumpet, the bowls, and the other one. <laughs> Can't remember it. When they start, there'll be no stopping and no, be, no comfort. Governments will have run out of money. They'll only be fending for themselves. It'll be a horrible place. One loaf of bread for a day's wages is what it'll come down to. Now, whether it'll be like that all over the world, only the Lord knows what's going to happen. But in the perils that are coming, flee, flee from the wrath to come. Absolute foolishness for people to say the church is going through the tribulation. It, it is denying the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ who paid for the deliverance of our being from the wrath of God, which is the tribulation. It's very annoying to hear people spouting such rot and nonsense. 
God protects us in our perils. He delivered Noah from the judgment. He delivered Lot from the judgment. He'll deliver the church from the judgment. And then it'll happen in rapid succession like a automatic rifle where you, you, well, semi-automatic, where you just have to pull the trigger, bang, bang, bang. And if you work out what there, seven years by 12 months at 70, 84, something months, seven into that, you come back to the, and, and you work it out, I'm not working it out in my head right now, but you work that out. Every so many months, it's going to some another major disaster, another major disaster, worldwide, everywhere. And all the things that result from the disasters, as we've seen, all the destruction, all the cleanup. Well, he protects us in our perils. The disciples were in the boat, being rocked and tossed, and they were fearful. They, they knew this lake. They were fishermen on this lake. They knew what it could do and how the winds could come down from the desert and just howl a gale and make the waves like they were. They weren't in big ocean liners, nothing like that, in the Jesus boat that's over there in in, in a museum thing. And they were fearful. But God knows our perils. The storms of life may surround, and God knows them. The disciples were on rough seas, and we may be in rough seas. We might be in, in our mind, we might be in our body, uh, in, our, in our emotions. We might be suffering tsunamis, but God knows our perils. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23, we read there, Are they all ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, said Paul. I am more. In labourers more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. By night and day I've been in the deep, a night and a day in the deep, (laughs) in the ocean, floating like a cork on a stick of wood or something. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Oh, in perils. Did God know Paul was in perils? Yep. Did Paul know God knew he was in perils? Yes. But still as an apostle who receives, received such revelation and could, could perform miracles, he had to be backed up by the, the Lord and coming and saying, Paul, it's okay, it's all going to work out. You're going to get to Rome. You're going to testify to Caesar. Perils, perils, perils. You notice that. And other things before the perils started, deaths and destruction and often this and often that. <coughs> huh. Prosperity gospel. You see prosperity gospel there? It's the lie of the devil because it's not there. You that live godly will suffer persecution and I'm learning it more and more. The more you stick your neck out for the Lord, the more it'll get chopped off or someone will try to chop it off. And you will be in and I will be in perils. Be encouraged. God knows the perils, the rough seas. He knows the things that we face. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings, often in 
hunger and thirst and fastings often. We have had nothing compared with Paul. I think it might be coming. That's Pastor Buddy Smith when he was teaching us in college 44 years ago. He said he wouldn't be surprised the persecution comes to uh, the Western world. Well, it's right on the doorstep. Soon they're going to start locking up Christians and pastors and preachers here, not in China only, but here, because we'll be breaking the law when we just preach the word of God. Conversion. God's told us to go, as we mentioned before, into all the world and preach the gospel. And the world is telling us, and governments are passing legislation, each state is doing it one by one, nibbling away at it. Legislation, we're not allowed to do it. So if we do do it, what, we, what are we? According to the law of the land, we're criminals. According to God, we'll be fulfilling his will. Sounds like lock-up time for people that do spread the good news beside those things that are without those are the things that come upon me daily Paul said and the care and the and of all the churches and he had a mind for this church and that church and the other church and all the troubles they were facing God knows our perils he knows the troubles that we're facing in the book of Acts chapter 14 verse 19 we read this And there came there a certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he'd been dead. That sounds like prosperity gospel, doesn't it? Being dragged out of the preaching session dead because you've been stoned by those that should have known the Lord and accepted him and they hated him with vengeance, crucified him and stoned his apostles. They'd done it in the past. They'd done it to the prophets. Nevertheless, as the disciples stood around about him, he rose up, came into the city. He's a dead man walking. (laughs) Well, I wonder if those that stoned him saw him walking around. Hey, we dragged him out dead. What's he doing walking around? He got some bruises and bumps on him. It literally happened. And next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. He didn't stop. It didn't stop him from preaching. He said, he could have said, I give up on this business. All I do when I open mouth and preach the truth of the word of God is get stoned, thrown in prison, beaten, whipped, shipwrecked, robbed. You know, you know what we would say? Where's God? What's God doing? Why isn't he helping me? When did he stop this sort of thing? I can't stand this anymore, he could have said. But he went straight off. To, to minister to others. And as and when he had preached the gospel into that city, see, he went there, preached in Derby, verse 21 of Acts 14, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples. But maybe his wounds had healed by then from being stoned. Look at all the bruises I've got down there at Lystra. Lystra. <laughs> And he went back, confirming the souls and exhorting them, continuing in the faith that we must, we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Oh, he knew about it. We in our country don't know about that. Others in other countries know about that. President Obama got rid of Mr. Goodluck over there in the African country. Is it Nigeria? and installed his puppet there. And since then, 
32,000 Christians had been murdered by the Islamic folks there. This is a Western leader installing a murderer. And uh, Mr. Goodluck, I believe, was a Christian. Got rid of him and installed this tyrant. And nobody's saying anything about it. These people have died. They're in the presence of the Lord. But how hard it is. These people come upon them at two and late in the morning. I mean, early in the morning when they're asleep in their bed and just raid the cities and wipe them out, killing them with guns and matches, knives. Much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained elders in every church and had prayed and fa- with fasting, they commended them to the Lord whom they had believed. Yeah, these Christians were tough then, not the lily-livered people now. And I get my nose out of joint. I'm not coming to church anymore. Somebody said, Sister so-and-so said, and brother so-and-so did. And uh, Where's your backbone? Where's your strength to endure some hard times? And those that say the wrong thing against the brethren, they will be judged of the Lord one day too. Everything will be brought into judgment. The perils of life. In the, in the reading we, we had earlier in the book of Romans, in Romans <coughs> chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 35, we read there, <coughs> we read there who shall separate us? From the love of God, Christ. When we're going through these troubles, when Paul was going getting these beatings, when he was being robbed of the money he had earned by working all night to make tents, when he'd been robbed, <laughs> robbed by the world, robbed by wicked people, he knew that he was still in the love of Christ. He knew this was the will of God. As hard, as hard as it is to accept it, he knew it was the will of God, the Lord. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword separate us from the love of God? No. You say, well, yeah, Paul had special revelation. He had this voice talk to him. He got saved miraculously. He he was blinded and his eyes were open. He he did miracles. He, He saw this happen, that happen. Therefore, he could be sustained in the troublesome times. You know, it is more and more evident as I see and live life that the more a person commits and dedicates themselves to the Lord's work, the more the trouble comes. You know, we're to rejoice, whether it be bad or good times. You say it's easy to say, yeah. And I know it's hard to live, but we need to live it. Step out by faith and believe that the Lord will protect us in our perils. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Nothing. The answer is nothing. Verse 30, 37 of the same chapter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Thirdly, and lastly, we'll have to finish with this one. God cares for us on our pilgrimage. There's a song I thought of that we don't sing. It's not in the present <coughs> Wilds book, but it's in the one we used to have. Singing. We're singing. Number 153, Lord, I need you. Sometimes when life seems gentle, 
and blessings flood my way, I turn my gaze away from you and soon forget to pray. But when the sky grows dark and courage turns to fear, my anxious voice cries upward with words you long to hear. Lord, I need you. When the seas of life is calm, O Lord, I need you. When the wind is blowing strong, whether trials come or cease, keep me always on my knees. Lord, I need you. I need you. And the second verse without the chorus reads, Lord, help me to remember I'm weak, but you are strong. I cannot sing apart from you, for Lord, you are my song. Although I'm prone to wander and boast in all I do, Lord, keep my eyes turned upward so I depend on you. Maybe we should sing it again, get the old ones out and sing that song. Lord, we need you. We need your help. God cares for us on our pilgrimage all the way home. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. And verse 13 and 14, Enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go that way, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. Have you found the pilgrim way? Have you found the straight and narrow, the rough, the windy, uh, roadblocked, trees over the road, crashes and accidents on the road <coughs> of faith? Are you on the narrow road or on your broad road at least? Ah, you might be having fun on the broad road. Look, we just, praise the Lord, we had a few weeks up north, sort of Canberra, four days, and we're at Cessnock, four days, and Caloundra, was it, a week, and Coolangatta, a week. And on the weekends, the people come out to play. They're thinking they're having a great time. The restaurants are full, shoulder to shoulder, no 1.5 metre distance, and talking loud and breathing all over each other no separation <laughs> I'd wonder what if a policeman walked down there with that all scatter like like rats anyway having fun they said on the broad road not knowing what's just around the corner not knowing the control the government's going to bring remember what the revelation says head in hand marked ready to go Dried out already, round the world. Tribulation coming. Reset. You heard about the reset? I'll preach on that one day, soon, before it happens. Well, it started. They're resetting everything. And by 2030, they said it's all going to be done. And if you haven't read about it, get on to whatever media and find about it. Because it is frightening what they're planning. It sounds to fit the tribulation read revelation and read the read the reset <laughs> set reset button have you ever had a machine that does that there's one on the on the bulldozer it's got reset 40 years ago reset the button there's a fuse behind it so that you can get it started or whatever they're going to start it again with the elite and super rich running all the slaves of the world reset depopulate the planet reset have them in charge oh it's a terrible thought when you think who's who's resetting the button ha 
But God's got a reset button too, you know. <laughs> and he's going to reset it. Rapture, reset. Revelation, seven years later, reset the world. It's called refreshing and regeneration and renewing, as we preached it before in the Untils not long ago. Well, God cares for us in our pilgrimage. Have you been reset on your life, going headlong toward destruction and found the narrow road that leads to life eternal? And few there be that find it, it said. Well, <clears throat> in the book of Matthew, just back a little bit, or forward a bit to chapter 10 and verse 26. This is this written, fear not them not. This is talking about the wicked people. Therefore, <clears throat> for your, there is nothing, excuse me, there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hidden that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak in light. And what you hear in the ear, that preach upon the housetops, let them all know. <laughs> fear not them who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. But rather, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Confess the Lord. Fear not. He's with us on our pilgrimage. <clears throat> don't fear. He's got his eye on the sparrow. You know the song, don't you? In the verses, he's got his eye on you and he loves everybody. He wants to love them all to salvation, but only those that choose to willingly say yes, become his children. Fear not them who kill the body, because they can't do anything after that. Huh? All they do is promote you to glory. They give you a release from this life to go to the next. And look at the old Lazarus who had sores that the dog licked, dogs licked. He was in glory, enjoying the presence of Abraham and the Lord, the rich man tormented in hell. Have you been reset? <laughs> he protects us on our pilgrimage through life. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 12 and verse 4, Luke 12, verse 4, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that they have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him who after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Folks, if you're not a Christian, if you're a carnal Christian or if you don't know you know there's some people I'm beginning to doubt if they're saved by their behaviour you ought to start fearing God start falling on your face before him and repenting and believing by faith stop messing with the world prove yourself Paul said are you in the faith or you're not lily livid people Find the Lord and fear Him. Don't fear people. Don't fear the fa don't fear the family. Don't fear your friends. Fear God. Ah, you haven't seen Him, but He's always around, and He's looking at your heart. He knows our pilgrimage. Have you adjusted your pilgrimage toward heaven, the celestial city, like Abraham did 
back there in Hebrews 11. To the disciples and multitude, ye are of more value than many sparrows, the Lord has said to, to all of us. In the book of <clears throat> Hebrews 11.3, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That's what we are down here. People think we're strange and we are we're strangers and pilgrims. First Peter 2.11 speaks of pilgrimage also. Be dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And as all of us, preacher included, this fleshly lust that we're warring against our soul day after day, night after day, year after year. Be faithful unto death. I've seen so many people get old and blow it and become a shipwreck. And waste all the rewards that they could have earned. Loss of reward. You read it in First John. Read it in First John. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13. Fear God and keep his commandments. So what is it with you? We've looked just at three things. Words of encouragement. Why we should not fear. Because... God assures us of his purpose. We know them from the book. God protects us in our perils. And God <clears throat> cares for us on our pilgrimage. He knows his children. He looks after his children. He knows those that are his, it says in scripture. And he will allow nothing to come that we can't handle and he knows we can't. Don't go flipping the lid and saying, I can't handle it anymore with all the troubles that are going on in the world, huh? you can. If you've got it, if you've got a problem, you've got a peril, you've got a trouble, God knows you can handle it. That's why you've got it. And he wants to build you in your faith in him from that. So may God bless the word that has been shared today. Let's pray and then we'll have Catherine sing us a song. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the clear understanding of things you've told us about throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, that you are always looking over, as it were, the balcony of heaven. You're, you're here. You're present with us. Lord, your eyes on the sparrow, your eyes on us. You love your children. You love them unto death. And Lord, you'll love us for eternity. Help us to be confident in this. And for those that are wishy-washy in their Christian life and you Look on and you don't know if they're saved or unsaved. If they're saved or unsaved, Lord, may they quickly flee to you while there's still time to repent and be saved. For the person that knows they're unsaved and headed toward hell, may they see that the things of this world are but for a short, a very short season, and then eternity rolls on forever. And the things of eternity matter most. May they turn by faith, believe, and understand the word and let it be mixed with faith and they become your children bless us now as we sing here a chosen hymn sung for us in jesus name amen <laughs>